2019, there were about 1.47 billion international tourist arrivals worldwide, an international tourist arrival being someone arriving in another country for leisure purposes. That's a historical peak for such arrivals, that number climbing steadily upward from 1950, when there were only about 25 million such arrivals, before hitting 166 million in 1970 and 435 million in 1990. Part of this increase can be attributed to the relative peace we've enjoyed post-World War II. There have absolutely been conflicts, but even accounting for some of the somewhat major ones, there hasn't been anything on the scale of what we saw before the midpoint of the 20th century. Technology, especially transportation and communication technology, also plays a role here, as plane travel in particular has become less expensive and more attainable. More people have been able to travel financially, and have felt comfortable traveling via this means of locomotion because of how much more common, and thus less scary, it became and because it's become such a regular thing that most of the safety issues have long since been worked out. In 2019, there were 106,849 flights per day, globally, on average. That significant plane-related issues are rare enough to make global headlines speaks volumes about how rare they are, especially considering just how many of them are taking off and landing at any given moment. Communication has likewise made travel simpler, as we can keep in touch with family and friends from just about anywhere, but can also work, if we need to, from the beach or a mountain or wherever else. The internet has also stoked interest in travel, as we share our vacation photos, sparking travel desire in our friends and family and followers. The internet has also become a thriving marketplace for transportation options, alongside platforms presenting places to stay and things to do once you get where you're going. As a result of this multi-factor tourism boom, the combined travel and tourism industries and their direct, indirect, and induced impacts accounted for about one in four of all new jobs created globally in 2019, alongside 10.6% of all existing jobs and about 10.4% of global GDP, which is about $9.2 trillion. International visitors to foreign destinations spent about $1.7 trillion in 2019, which accounts for about 6.8% of total product exports in those destinations and 27.4% of global service exports. So while tourism can often seem like a bit of a lark when compared to more ostensibly serious industries, like manufacturing and food production, it's actually a driver of those industries because folks need cars to rent, they need food to eat, and they need all sorts of other goods and services, which they might also consume back home, but which they'll often consume more of or different versions of when they're away from home. 
Those numbers I cited are from 2019 because that was the last baseline year that we have data for pre-COVID-19 pandemic. And that baseline is important because it's the before-everything-went-sideways status quo we now tend to use for all sorts of things to determine if and how and how quickly various industries are shifting back towards something more normal in the sense that we previously used that term at least. And that's the case with tourism and other sorts of travel as well. Almost right out of the gate, 2020 sucked for the tourism industry. It sucked on multiple levels, but it sucked for the tourism industry in particular. Even though it took some countries more time to get their regulations and pandemic infrastructure in gear than others, the utter weirdness and novelty of a pandemic in an increasingly interconnected world that had only seen a few primarily regionalized versions of pandemics in recent memory kept people from making plans they would usually make and from spending in the same way they normally would have had life remained largely predictable with familiar threats and risks associated with any given action or purchase. Over the course of 2020, formal regulatory changes were piled atop those initial personally held concerns and governments started locking down their borders against folks from elsewhere. By the end of the year, international arrival numbers had dropped by about 73% compared to 2019 numbers, which adds up to something like 402 million arrivals for the entire year globally, the lowest figure recorded since 1989. That decrease in arrivals hit the tourism industry broadly, knocking about 60% off the previous year's overall spending total. And this was bad for pretty much all economies, as again, tourism and international travel in general are interconnected with the rest of the economy. But countries that rely heavily on such visits, like Macau and New Zealand, alongside those that aren't heavily reliant on it, but which have large tourism industries because of their size, like the U.S. and China, accumulated some significant casualties in their travel-focused industries. Lots of businesses were shuttered, and lots of people working in these fields were laid off or quit and had to find other jobs. What I'd like to talk about today is another upset happening in this space at the tail end of 2021, and how this bundle of industries might further change as a consequence headed into 2022 and beyond. You're listening to Let's Know Things. I'm Colin Wright. It's worth mentioning at the outset, I think, that everything pandemic-related is in flux. And while that's true of any piece of news I might cover on a weekly podcast, like this one, where I do all the researching and writing and recording ahead of time, it's perhaps even more so with anything related to the COVID-19 pandemic because of how quickly the coronavirus itself is evolving and how rapidly our response to it and the myriad impacts it's having on society and the economy and everything else are emerging and changing. 
Also relevant to that and worth a quick note is that this is part of why I started up another podcast a little while back, a daily one that goes out each morning called One Sentence News, and I'll probably drop an episode of that into this feed at some point in the near future. But if you're keen to check it out in the meantime, you can just search for One Sentence News on your podcast app. But I bring that up because it's much easier to address some of these quick-changing variables in that kind of show with that kind of publishing cadence. And this was especially true for the last episode of Let's Know Things, which was about the winter 2021 pandemic reality and which went live just a few days after the Omicron variant was named and its presence on the international scene possibly changed everything. So while a lot of ground was covered in that episode, some of that ground had already shifted in significant ways pre-publication within the span of just a few days. So keep that in mind because anything I mention in this episode as well might likewise change in small or significant ways by the time you hear it. Now that said, the article I'd like to start with today comes from the Wall Street Journal, and it's entitled, What the Omicron Variant Means for Travel Restrictions and Bans. On the Sunday following the Thanksgiving holiday in the U.S., the TSA, the agency tasked with screening people who want to get on flights or disembark flights in the U.S., tallied 2.45 million passengers, which was the highest one-day count since mid-February 2020, when the whole COVID thing started to hit the public consciousness and entangle itself with essentially every aspect of the average person's life. The TSA count for the 10-day traditional Thanksgiving travel period was about 20.9 million people, which is about 89% of the 2019 tally and more than double what was counted over the same period in 2020. So despite many justifiable worries about supply chain-like issues across U.S. travel infrastructure over this typically travel-heavy holiday, things went pretty smoothly without significant holdups or weather-related blockages. Airlines worked hard to refill their depleted staff numbers leading up to this period, and that effort and the additional expense of paying out bonuses and incentives to keep people around seemed to pay off. There was a good deal of optimism in this space, actually, leading up to Thanksgiving, and in the following days, the stock market reflected this. General attitudes about the direction of the economy and travel-related industries in particular also seemed to reflect this. A significant a significant portion of that optimism had dissipated just a few days later, though, after word of a new worrying variant of COVID, dubbed Omicron, spread outward from South Africa, where the variant was first detected, landing in medical and research institutions elsewhere, which led to governments worldwide beginning to tweak or significantly rethinking their pandemic plans for the coming months as a consequence. As of the day I'm recording this, early in the first week of December 2021, at least 44 countries have imposed travel restrictions on people traveling from South Africa and surrounding countries. The U.S. and several other nations have also put these countries on do-not-travel advisory lists, basically warning their citizens not to go there 
because it's dangerous. Japan and Israel have banned all foreign nationals trying to cross their borders, and several countries, including Singapore and Ireland, have now started requiring negative tests from travelers arriving from overseas. I should mention, too, that many people in the medical community are saying that these lockdowns could actually serve as negative incentives, which will leave us less aware of such variants in the future. South Africa's effort in detecting and then reporting Omicron is being celebrated by folks in the medical and research community, but these lockdowns, which are generally considered to be politically expedient moves, not necessarily medically useful ones, seem punitive to South Africans. They are being kept out of other countries and being put on do-not-travel lists, and that's the reward, basically, for sending up a very early warning to the rest of the world about a potentially dangerous new COVID variant that quite possibly didn't even originate in South Africa or the surrounding region. It may be that researchers are less likely to report such variants so quickly in the future out of concern that they might bring that same economic and regulatory hammer down on their own country. A lot of people in South Africa and the seven other countries being lumped into this bundle of bans are perhaps understandably irked about all of this, especially since tourism numbers in the area were just starting to recover from the COVID collapse in early 2020, and all because they dared to help everybody else out by giving us time to prepare and thus associating themselves in the minds of many with this new variant. The follow-up data being reported from elsewhere around the world seems to back up these complaints being leveled by South Africans. Many nations have already reported their own locally detected Omicron infections, including some of the countries that recently announced new restrictions against these African countries as part of their attempt to keep Omicron from arriving on their shores. So while such lockdowns may slow transmission a bit in some cases, and while politicians understandably want to avoid criticism from their constituents for not acting as quickly as they could have, just in case Omicron ends up being a big deal, this lockdown-heavy state of affairs that seems to be falling into place as of the day I'm recording this may be a temporary blip especially since some of these countries now seem to realize that they may have had Omicron infections in their own country even before South Africa did. Now, we don't know at this point whether Omicron will be a disaster or a dud. Much of the analysis right now is supposition based on what we know about specific mutations and experiences with other variants and their behaviors. By mid-December, we should know quite a bit more about its transmissibility, how well the available vaccines and other medical interventions work on it, and how severe the infections it causes will tend to be. But right now, we just know that researchers are alarmed by what they're seeing, and that, in turn, is causing politicians, many of whom are very well-meaning and were caught off guard by earlier shifts in the pandemic, and were criticized back then for not responding rapidly and potently enough, it's all causing them to react, and perhaps in ways that are not necessarily helpful, and in ways that are potentially devastating for some aspects of the global economy.
what the tourism industry and anyone who might want to travel internationally face right now, then, is severely heightened uncertainty related to the Omicron variant, but also heightened uncertainty related to the response of governments and other entities, including airlines and Airbnb, and every entity connected to that industry could in turn convert would-be vacationers' travel investments into nothing. Money spent could disappear, time taken off from work could be wasted, and this swirl of uncertainty then becomes its own force, even if some of these uncertainties are eventually made more certain by settling into something more concrete, the general uncertainty vibe may linger on. And the impactfulness of these uncertainties are amplified still further by the latent nature of the tourism industry. Leading up to this moment, many people were considering vacations and other sorts of travel for the first time in what feels like a long time. The availability of and regulatory permission to receive boosters in many wealthy countries has provided a shot of ambulatory ambition for people who have been holding still in one place for the better part of two years. The places they're keen to go and the people and businesses operating in these places have likewise been all a Twitter about the return of visitors. Businesses that in some cases have barely held on these past few pandemic-laden years. Most people don't just click a buy button somewhere on the internet and walk out the door with their purchase, though. Buying things in the travel space is not as straightforward or immediate as it is for other sorts of purchases. Instead, there's planning, there's saving, there's rearranging other plans and taking time off work and making sure the plants or pets or kids have someone to water or feed or entertain them. And that means there tends to be a decent span of time between deciding to pull the trigger on a trip and actually enjoying that trip. Weeks, months, sometimes a year or more. These variables would be less pernicious if the chronological distance between investment and enjoyment was smaller as the range and significance of changes that tend to happen from day to day, even during a pandemic, are relatively small. Over the course of weeks or months, though, everything can change. This is evidenced even in the week it took for the last episode of this show to be released, a few days after finishing it, and a few days before it hit people's podcast apps. A great deal of significant things had already occurred. And though the previous bundle of information still applied, it now described a reality that existed before Omicron was detected and named and started triggering adjustments in global pandemic perception and preparation. It described a reality then that no longer exists. Uncertainty has a double effect in the world of travel then because of the nature of the industry. Most trips require planning and rearranging, and a decent chunk of money. And any disruption to such a plan leads to sunk costs and frantic replanning and a great deal of stress. Someone whose trip has been upended by pandemic conditions can be forgiven for being a little gun-shy about their next travel undertaking. They may be less willing to take any risk at all not wanting to suffer through the same disappointment and flurry of changes and unrefundable deposits as before. 
Thus, they might wait until the skies clear completely, or they may scale back their ambitions. In either case, this is not desirable, or in some cases even survivable, for people and businesses that rely on such visitors for their economic existence. We are in the midst of paradigm shifts in many aspects of life right now, from pharmaceuticals to business to relationships to just about anything you might point at. The pandemic is playing a role in these shifts, but it mostly is just pushing a bunch of already tilting, teetering elements over the edge. Now we're in the interstitial space between what was and what will be, and though the next step will absolutely share many commonalities with where we were before, it's also unlikely we'll return to a state of normal that looks like what we had in 2019. If you're wondering what these changes might look like, consider the events industry, the restaurant industry, and the world of e-commerce, the latter of which is increasingly just commerce, because so much of what we spend is now spent online instead of in-person transactions, a trend that was already headed in this direction, but which was sped up by five to ten years, depending on where in the world you're looking. Each of these spaces are likewise tweaking their formulas, some less successfully, like the events industry, which is arguably still struggling to find its feet in a world in which in-person events are tricky, or in some cases imprudent or outlawed altogether, and in which most of us don't want to do video calls in our off hours if we can avoid it, or pay for virtual replications of things we would prefer to do in person. While many restaurants have tweaked their business models so they can offer full-time pickups and deliveries, which has permanently reshaped the industry to make it more malleable, in some cases, such businesses are doing even better than they were before because of this newfound flexibility and the investments they were forced to make. It's difficult to say from our current perspective if and how and to what degree the travel industry and all the other industries it touches will change as a consequence of everything happening in the world today. There's a good chance we'll end up with more and more flexible options at some point in the future because of all the upsets and dangers and wily new variables we're trying to understand and define and account for. But our habits and preferences and travel-related tendencies will also likely change as a result of all this. So following any individual strand of this ever-shifting story toward a likely endpoint is unfortunately unlikely to tell us anything concrete about how the world and the way we travel through it will look, even just a few years in the future. book I'd like to recommend today is called The Anthropocene Reviewed by John Green. I've been tangentially aware of John Green's work for a while. I had never listened to anything he'd made before, and I hadn't read any of his books, but I really enjoyed this work, so I'll probably be seeking out some of his other stuff in the near future. This is a memoir, in essence, 
It's a collection of personal stories that are told through the form of a well-constructed review of everyday things that make up the modern world. And that ranges from things that you might think about reviewing, products and such, all the way to sensations and feelings and occurrences and things of that nature. So the concept itself is pretty funny and clever, but the writing is good enough to live up to the promise of the concept as well. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, consider picking up a copy of The Anthropocene Reviewed by John Green. You can find out more about me and my work at colin.io. You can find the show notes and transcript for this episode and every episode of the podcast at letsknowthings.com. You can find a portfolio of my other projects, including my other podcasts, at understandery.com. And feel free to reach out and say howdy on social media. I'm Colin Wright on Facebook and at Colin is my name on Twitter and Instagram and most of the other ones. Thank you so very much for listening. I'm Colin Wright and I'll talk to you again next week when everything will probably have changed again. Thank you.